Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the second season of Creative Habits Podcast. We really appreciate you walking with us on this journey of just us talking about different topics and having chats with artists in whatever field, you know? Yeah, definitely. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, So the topic today is hair. Hair, specifically black hair. For centuries, black communities, black people of African descent around the world have created hairstyles that are uniquely their own. These hairstyles span all the way back to the ancient world and continue to weave their way through social, political, and cultural conversations surrounding black identity today. That's deep. That's deep. What is black hair to you? The thing, the dead cells on my head. The dead cells on your head. Does it, is it your identity or is it just a part of you? I think everything that is a representation of me on my body is my identity. Okay. So from my head to my toes, this is me. Okay. And it serves a purpose. My hair are dead cells, Mm. but they are something that allows me to express myself. That allows me to feel free and have the option to do whatever I want. Mm. To me, my hair is just a form of low maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what specifically defines me as a person, but Mm -hmm. it's been a part of me so long that I guess it's just a small, a small, minuscule piece of who I am as a person yeah I think it could work both ways Mm -hmm. where you feel like it's not really connected to you as a part of your identity but somebody else could see you and be like hey yeah that's filled with the dreadlocks filled with the dreadlocks yeah you know that's how someone can identify you like Mm -hmm. you know the dude with the dreadlocks they're not going to say the dude with you know the nice eyes (laughs) they'll distinguish you first from your hair yeah, it's definitely, um, I've had long hair, longer than I've had short. <clears throat> I think the last time I had short hair, I was probably about five or six. Mm-hmm. Then I grew an afro and wore that for uh, two to three years. I'm talking Steve Harvey shape up. Thing was nice and symmetrical all around. <laughs> um, then I've had. Um, twist braids, um, cornrows, um, used to call them the Island Iversons back in the day. And, uh, around high school is when I finally just said, I'm going to just get dreadlocks because I'm tired of sitting at the, you say it so simply though, because even how you described all of your, the timelines of your hair, Mm -hmm. you've done art to your head without even knowing it. Like you've created like something special that is mm. like 
a part of who you are. You know, certain people get a certain style. Um, I don't think it, I believe I, I definitely agree with that. But to me, it was just a part of the times, a part of the climate, you part know, of the culture, a part of, a part of the culture. You know, every I guess culture create different styles or adapt different styles within the generations and luckily i was a part of a lot of different generations of 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 style Mm -hmm. and creativity my own personal feeling towards it is that we're all connected to Mm -hmm. what we express ourselves to be so you know like hair for me whether and i I like it or not is a representation of who i am Mm -hmm. Um, I hate to be redundant, but even if I didn't want it to be, that's kind of how hair is more of an important subject for black people Mm -hmm. (laughs) than other people because that's what a lot of people are fixated on about us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes (laughs) sense. It makes sense. It's, It's funny because... Some of the hairstyles that we practice within the last couple of decades are more ancient within our culture than most of us or some of us will realize. Mm-hmm. You know, um, especially when it comes to wigs um, in the ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. um, only royalty and people with uh, wealth were able to wear wigs that were made out of, I believe, palm leaves, mm. um, strands of human hair, and sometimes gold, and were designed in such a way to just, I guess, flaunt their wealth. Mm. Definitely. Know? But that's that's what I love about our hair, because the origins of how we used to take care of it and style it, there's mm-hmm. a story behind that that we've mm-hmm. continued to tell throughout the years and throughout generations and it keeps like kind of recycling itself yeah. and coming back and going it's a, away it's and in our DNA. being reinvented. Yeah. So I think that it it's a beautiful representation of us as a people. Mm-hmm. Um whether we are conscious of it or not. It's our birthright. It's yeah. our birthright. It's it's in our DNA and it connects us to our ancestors, which is more powerful than I can say. Mm. You know? Give give us an example. Like, what do you mean that we're connected to it by our ancestors? It's like a lot of our traditions, our mannerisms, our, our ideals, um, even through colonialism and colonization have still stayed with us through the way we communicate through the way we uh the rhythm in our walk mm-hmm. you know the way we talk about hair and and the different styles it's like it's rippling through time and a lot of us aren't conscious of it because we don't have full access to our history. We don't, but even even if we don't have that full access, it still trickles through it within trickles each through. of us. Because it's like 
you can see girls in the twists and the braids that come from Senegal. It's like Senegalese twists, or it's like you know how they trace DNA. Mm-hmm. They can trace DNA all the way back to the so-called first woman. Mm-hmm. It's like those mannerisms, our hair, the way we talk, the way we 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 the way our culture is, the way we communicate within ourselves. It's like those different segments translate all the way to that first tribe in Africa or the first woman, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a part of us whether we know it or whether we like it or not. It's like it's in us to be mm-hmm. that. Yeah, definitely. And um it's extremely it's extremely weird how our hair isn't considered our natural state of being isn't considered um what's the word I'm looking for is it professional professional presentable acceptable to acceptable society acceptable <laughs> to european standards of society mm-hmm. it's extremely um discouraging and it's them telling us that we're not good enough just being ourselves. There's definitely negative cultural and social connotations surrounding natural hair. I think mm. in the society that we live, but also in our own culture. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of um, negative conversations surrounding natural hair mm. and how a certain texture of natural hair should be tamed or taken care of to look unlike what it is mm-hmm. because of our own understandings of what good hair is. It's it's troubling that we would get it from outsiders and even ourselves mm-hmm. because ourselves are telling ourselves that we're not good enough we're, we don't we lack self-love so we have to press and and manipulate and perm and burn and fry die lay to the side <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's definitely devastating that we can't be our natural selves you know you don't see a lion in a, in in africa with with permed hair it's just we, it's not you, them you know we can be our natural selves but it's how we will be portrayed as our natural selves mm. by other people. And don't get me wrong. It's nothing wrong with a young lady who wants to wear extensions or mm-hmm. perm her hair. Not like, at all. Black people are not monolithic. All I'm saying is that you shouldn't feel bad to be yourself. I absolutely agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I understand on the topic of natural hair, I do feel there is negativity towards mm-hmm. being your true self. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take away from you having the freedom to express yourself exactly. in whatever you choose to do. Mm-hmm. So I think there are two different types of topics that end up, you know, being on the same on the same level together, mm-hmm. <laughs> they can exist. But I, I do think that there is a conversation that needs to be had about 
who we are in our natural state and why it isn't accepted. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you were to go in a job interview, are mm-hmm. you likely to get that job with your hairstyle? I know for a fact that I've been denied jobs because I've had dreadlocks or beard. Because mm-hmm. they would make it to seem like it's threatening a big, scary black man with the dreadlocks and the beard. Maybe because that's the societal media influence norm. But you know me, I wouldn't hurt a fly. You know what I mean? Like, I hate confrontation, you know? But it's just the stigma behind it. The, The preconceived notions that are reflected and perpetuated from those who write the narrative. Mm. I've always told myself, though, in those circumstances, um, especially jobs, that I never go where I don't feel un- like wanted. Mm-hmm. So if someone makes a comment about my hair, that's a problem. But yeah. it's like I notice that if I do one style as opposed to another mm-hmm. or like if I'm not wearing my, my dreadlocks and I have on a wig, there's mm-hmm. a completely different way of how people would treat me and encourage me to continue the style that wasn't my natural state yeah. to make them feel comfortable. And a lot of people don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'm not going to take that job because they don't like my hair. A lot of people, especially in the black inner city communities, have to take these jobs because mm-hmm. it's, 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 they live in stressful, traumatic situations. But luckily, I I believe that D.C. is one of the very few places, mm-hmm. um, and it's starting to change now in different states very slowly, where you can have dreadlocks, mm-hmm. you know, in the gov- in a federal government job or, or a government job. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that it depends on the percentage of people yeah. in that that have, uh, you know, a certain number of um, Africans living in it. Yeah. But I I do think there are microaggressions surrounding the topic of hair in the workspace, in school settings as well. Yeah, um, I think a few schools, and even in sports, um, there were kids in, I guess, Jamaica, Mm. where dreadlocks are pretty, like... Common. Common, normal. (laughs) A kid... uh, Cultural. At this school, they told him that he had to cut his hair because it wasn't acceptable mm. in Jamaica. Um, down south, uh, I forget what, what part, what state or whatever, a kid, basically the same story. His, his dreadlocks wasn't acceptable. Or a kid who had a fresh cut fade and everything but had a, a, a part design in it. The principal colored it in with a black marker. Like, who gave these people the authority? Who deputized these people to tell children, parents, and and the diaspora how we should present ourselves to the public, to the world? But this is the thing. It's the world that's telling the people that live in the world, that this is not acceptable. 
in my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give an example for when we went to Zimbabwe for my mother's wedding. Mm-hmm. Early 2000s. My mom's husband has dreadlocks. She mm-hmm. has dreadlocks. Um, and I was the only one also that had dreadlocks. And we went to the store once. During this time, Zimbabwe didn't have a lot of people with dreadlocks. It was very rare. A lot of the people that were um, either repatriating back home or mm-hmm. visiting home or the ones with these styles would go back. But I remember us going to one of these prominent malls and people like pointing and laughing and being like, uh, I forget what they were saying. I don't know. But there was just a very negative connotation about locks. Like people are drug users who wear dreadlocks. They're uncleanly. Yeah. Like just, just really negative things. I remember just feeling bad that day because mm-hmm. there was such... Um, curiosity and confusion and laughter surrounding what we had on our head. And this is coming from the continent. Yeah, definitely. But locks weren't really accepted like that, I feel mm. like. Specific, I can't speak on any other African country, but I know for sure when we were in Zimbabwe, we like it was just really strange to have locks. And I remember mm. my uncle who was ill at the time coming back and he had dreadlocks and my grandma was just complaining about, you know, these things like only people with dreadlocks do drugs like you said yeah. like that's what she kept saying and i'm like my mom has locks like you know like it, it just wasn't acceptable and it wasn't you know there wasn't anything positive that had to deal with dreadlocks a lot of that just shows you that colonialism and other ideals of beauty has done its job. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no it's basically sad. no white people there, but their their minds are still there inside of Yeah. Oh no, there are definitely people. white people there. But I think that our views of beauty, luckily now it's changing because this was almost twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. But luckily the views surrounding hair is changing for the better. But there are also still things that we need to do as far as accepting and embracing all of the different unique things that our hair can do and all of the beautiful textures that we have within the African community. It's it's definitely um, a movement uh, before the the shutdown. I think last year um, there was a movement called the Curly Girl Collective or something like that. Oh, yeah. They have a big festival, festival. that they do every, well, since <laughs> yeah. prior to post. But it was during the summer, right? Uh-huh. Around, I guess, before the Afropunk Festival. And a lot of women and men with natural hair would go to these festivals and and celebrate who they are. Definitely. I saw a lot of that during the Afropunk festivals. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of us are now embracing our natural beauty, whereas... Bef- I mean, being black is a trend right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I hate to say it like that, but it's more acceptable to be accepting of who you are. And it comes in waves, you know. Mm-hmm. It comes in waves. Um, oh, the seventies, <laughs> the seventies, sixties, and seventies. You know. Um, let's talk about braids. Braids were significant in certain African countries as well as the u.s um i believe the original origins of them was to show marital status 
between um, a wife and her husband. And whoever had the, <laughs> the best braids would be considered the most wealthiest. Interesting, yeah. I think different places did different things. Um, I have heard that before. Um, even with braids and cornrows, mm-hmm. um, the the colonization of Africa mm-hmm. and Africans having to be put on ships and taken to a foreign land. Yeah. A lot of the times, um, some of the women would braid, you know, someone's hair mm. and put little little items like <laughs> of necessity and, like rice and, and seeds seeds to plant mm-hmm. um on their new and uncertain journey. Um and I think that's pretty powerful how our culture is always maintained mm-hmm. throughout history. And how even if we're unco- not conscious of the little gems that have been passed through history, mm-hmm. they're there and they're prominent. The fact that we still braid hair and go to the hair salon to get our hair done, there's conversation it's and like gathering therapy. surrounding us. It's, it's always been the same process and the same communal communal system in place. Yeah. Whether or not we know what we're doing, but it's always been that. It's always been some form of um it's I'm like church. For the word. It's like it's <laughs> like going to church, it's it's the community. Mm. You know, even though a lot of the people may may not know each other personally, um, they gather in these places to sh- leave the world behind. Mm-hmm. Or to talk about different situations within the household or within work or within social social situations. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly like therapy. You know, same thing with barbershops. Black men, especially black communities, don't... I mean, we're being more accepted, accepting of the idea, but a lot of black men don't do therapy. Yeah. You know, and why? Why? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's shunned upon. Black men should are considered as strong. We should suck it up. Black men don't cry. This, that, and the third. But they will go to these barbershops and these communities to release and laugh and and enjoy each other each other's energy. You know, so without knowing it, consulting in one another, yeah, and <laughs> being each other's another, you know? source of like comfort and a way to express yourself. Come to think about it, I remember maybe when I was like five or six, going to the barber shop, my first time seeing two black men like dap each other up and bringing in for a hug. Like <laughs> it was, it was crazy to me. You know, mm-hmm. I. I I didn't understand it then, and it's still like a, a rough way of saying, "Brother, come in, uh, come here, I love you." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Without yeah. saying it, and it's just that community is. But e- yeah, even the sense of community, the level of care and love, like yeah. e- like as black people, like we like looking good. Yeah, and of that's course. never like <laughs> of course 
that's never changed in society. Like, you go to the barbershop to get your nice fade. Like, it's the mm. crisp fade. Nobody can do a fade like a black man, yeah. you know, or a black woman. But it's like, there's something powerful about that. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that that is a, form, a, a way that we represent ourselves, which is now being accepted, I think, slowly in society as, as a form of a, attraction. Mm. Um, because the standards of beauty have always been one way, and now it's changing. Always since colonialism, because before colonialism, especially in the continent, different countries practice different standards of beauty. Like, um, what's the country, I think it's East Africa, where the the women would put mud in their hair and use it as Yeah, the Maasai. I think um, Namibian people do that as well. Or... I don't know the name of the ethnic group. Southern Africa with Bantu knots. Mm. You know? Bantu knots... The last time I seen Bantu knots were maybe like mid-2000s. You know? It was like still kind of prevalent. Yeah, but a lot of of women wear them now. Like, I've seen it since 2014 up till now like it's really a really popular style but so do you think the people the african people over here or african american people over here without knowing it are tracing back their roots from the the natural ways that they exist the natural ways they oh i'm just going to get bantu knots now or I might just do dreadlocks, or is it just a fad within the culture? Like, are we connecting with our ancestors? Yeah, I don't think it's that deep. I think it's a fad within the culture. Okay. Like, I I, I do feel like it is, it, it was, you know, something that was passed down from our ancestors or something that we always had as a form of creativity mm. within our people, but... That thing, like, history repeats itself. It's never going to stay in one stage or stay in that year. It's always going to make a comeback. There's always going to be somebody that looks back on a photo or, you know, does research or knows that their grandmother used to do their hair a certain way and pass that down Mm -hmm. to their family line or telling their girlfriend about it, and then you see that style in another place. I'm curious to know, though, how that travels. Like, we talk about it, but actually seeing it in history, Mm. where it's like you had Senegalese twists are popular. Where did that come from? Mm. Dreadlocks became, like, so popular in the early thousands. Did Bob Marley start the trend? Like, you know, who, like, how do we, how do these trends resurface? Mm. Yeah, I think it. That would be so cool to figure out. A lot of it deals with the. The energy of the time, mm. the the music of the time. <laughs> when you said energy of the time, I thought like instantly J Cole and Jay Z's hairstyle right yeah. now in twenty twenty. It's the energy. It's like the social issues mm-hmm. dealing with. I think it's the art and the energy, because back in the sixties, a lot of the artists would have permed hair. Mm-hmm. Because they wanted it to be socially accepted, accepted mm-hmm. within 
not only the black and music industry, but they wanted to expand into the white music industry as well because that brings more money, right? Definitely. Uh, before the 50s, 60s, the, the 30s, 40s, 50s and up, you know what I mean? With, with jazz, you know? I think it's just the style of the time, you know? It's the style of the time. And mm. whatever is prevalent, whatever energy is out there is what we basically attached to i heard something and i don't remember the source where um around the times of like um when africans were in the enslaved um in the united states or the caribbean um their hair was so beautiful and intricate and you could do braids and all this Mm -hmm. these kinds of things but um the white woman didn't like that Mm-hmm. So they were then enforced to wear head wraps. Mm-hmm. And then with what we were given with head wraps, just those, you know, creative ties or the styles came about with that. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't know the origins of like how head wraps came about. Because it took the attention off of the white women. <laughs> no, I hear I, I hear, but it's yeah. just like it's so it's so interesting how even with what we're given or even the little that we have, we make something out of that. Mm. Or we even create another form of creativity, creative beauty out mm. of out of nothing. Same with soul food, you know, it's just like we're given what we've got or we use what we have to make better yeah they gave us the scraps i don't know yeah soul food is great but i'm glad that i stopped eating a lot of that stuff like chitlins and pig feet and stuff right but even that like i know that the 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 health risks surrounding soul food but when we had no choice soul food was something that ended up being something that was supposed to made to be to degrade us Mm -hmm. into something that's it's part of a part of culture, part yeah. Of like we American did that, you know. Now. And I think that we continue to do things out of being discriminated against or degraded. Like it's it oh, just, there's always it something created even beautiful. That How resilient we are. <laughs> African Americans are the heartbeat, the rhythm, the culture of America. Hip hop. It's the number jazz. one jazz. Soul was the number one country music. Music representation of america if you go to china or japan and reference tupac a person there will know who tupac is little richard and chuck berry you know what i mean gave um what's his name elvis presley that hairstyle right and his style you know like elvis presley stole a few songs right but i'm like it yeah it's hard it's hard not to Like we are Take the a rhythm of the country, the trendsetters. You know, with braids, <laughs> we've been doing braids since freaking black people were on the planet. Now all of a sudden, when Kim Kardashian does it, it's trendy. It looks nice. Yeah. Uh, it's influential. I think that's that's what's so special about us that a lot of us don't really realize mm. is. Um, how creative, talented, beautiful, all of that stuff we are, where sometimes we look outside of ourselves to gain what we already what we already have. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think I think our problem with it is we give a lot of it for free, but we don't monetize on it. Yeah, 
I guess so. But that's not in our nature to do something like that. Naturally, we we are just artistically capable. Yeah, of. but it would be easier to monetize off of. I had a friend that said, "Never give game for free. Never, never give million dollar game for free." You know, because it'll be harder for you to gain those millions. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand what you're saying, but I think naturally as our own people like you give out free photo shoots and like that's natural to you because you love doing what you're doing and you're not thinking first about money you're thinking about art and what you enjoy doing so it's like naturally we don't (laughs) but we should like we should um i should change that (laughs) did you know corn rolls were named for the visual similarity to cornfields africans Mm -hmm. wore these tight braids laid along the scalp as a representation of agriculture. But if you think about it, the they remind me of um, corn. Yeah, corn rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Maize, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. just the feel. Like when I think of corn rolls, I see that. Like I see an image of that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, like they... Corn, they don't call it cornrows in England. They call it something else. That's because it's England. Cane rows. Cane rows? Like sugar cane? I guess so. Something like that. Is Maybe because they didn't sell corn back in the day. They sold sugar cane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened when African Americans sought out, sought out this quest for European standard of hair? When was that? When was that? Did we have a choice? I think it was it was mandatory without being without being announced that it was mandatory. Mm. It says after the emancipation, there was a growing notion that European textured hair was good because yeah, African textured hair was bad. That was the standard of beauty and under unprofessional. That was the standard of beauty, wasn't it? Mm. You even have, not with even just our community, but you had Dominican blowouts for a Mm -hmm. reason. Like, we all had to be within that standard of beauty. So, I'm thinking, well, maybe, well, the information that's presented maybe in the early 1900s with Annie Malone and Madam C.J. Walker coming up with these different hair products to straighten and tighten and and what was it hot comb hair mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. to represent what european standard of beauty is i mean don't get me wrong she was Anna, madam cj walker the first black millionaire the first black millionaire um well i have something to say about that mm-hmm. i think what she did for black women um probably contradicting myself, was great because if you had that hair texture, you would be more inclined to get that job. Mm. Somebody would be more inclined to treat you a little bit better. We had to We had to kind of do what we could, you know, to, to, to fit adapt. in society. We had to adapt. Yeah. And unfortunately, during that time, um, this was an incredible discovery and invention for black women because 
that wouldn't be the first thing that somebody would see and then treat you horribly. When did slavery end? Well, not end, but it was like 1865 or something like that. Slavery? Yeah, it was like late 1800s. And black people had to reinvent themselves. 1865? Yeah, 1865. I, I was right. 1865 is when slavery ended. And black people in America had to gain an identity that wasn't there. Yeah. Um, even though a lot of black people were professionals with the trades and agriculture, we had to build ourselves back up. And rather just... A lot of us tried to create communities like Black Wall Street or Tesla. Tesla tried to create these predominantly black communities to create wealth. A lot of us um, were looking for acceptance outside of ourselves. Yeah. Which led to the Madam C.J. Walkers. And- I mean, Madam C.J. Walker made an invention that allowed for black women to have other options of taking care of their hair. Mm-hmm. I think throughout the years, a lot of the information and the way that we cared for our hair wasn't lost, but it was looked down upon mm-hmm. based off of how we were treated and how we were um, brainwashed to think otherwise about our hair. Um Madam C.J. Walker made it so that women felt confident in their own, you know, bodies. And I think that a lot of, uh, it's sad. It's just sad to say. It's but to it's say, just, is it confidence? Well, well, it wasn't, but it's like I'm accepted more. Mm. A lot of the times people that, like black women that were my complexion and didn't have straight textured hair weren't really considered beautiful for Mm. black men or black, you know, for not all black men, but Mm. like for the majority of what the ideal image of beauty was would not have been me. It Mm. would have been somebody with maybe a little bit more of a a looser textured curl Mm. than mine. So it's like exotic. Right. So it gave women an opportunity to feel, quote unquote, beautiful or feel like they had a chance in society of getting that job of moving forward of being successful over the years. And I think that even trickles down still now. Like there's mm-hmm. a level of acceptance to women that have straighter hair than they do natural. Or even now when people are, are bleaching because they feel, I guess, more beautiful, fair skinned instead of yeah. dark it's, complected. I think we've gotten to the point where, yes, it's 2020 now. We have people that are embracing who they are naturally. We have people that are enhancing their their themselves. And mm. I think right right about now we're at the point where everything goes yeah. and everything is acceptable. Um, we just seen a, a news um, article about this young lady stealing a credit card and <laughs> getting a totally different, a totally new body. She stole a credit card to get. Her lips done, her boobs done, her butt done, her liposuction, <laughs> um, Botox. And, and she had, she was in her teens. <laughs> she was like 17, 18. Like, I, you were not even fully developed yet. Like, what was yeah, going on with the world? But I think, like, there's always, like, since 
since we were made to think otherwise about our beauty, mm. there's always been this constant competition of how can I look like the ideal standard of beauty? And it's hard when all you see in magazines and, and posters of one ideal of what beauty is. Definitely. It's and like I'll speak subliminal for my, messaging just beating you down. Definitely. I'll speak from my own experience. I think from the time that I started, you know, buying magazines for myself from the age of 12 to, up until the age of maybe 17, 18, mm. there would never be a black woman as much as they do now on the front cover of a magazine or in a Vogue magazine flipping through pages. Like maybe you'd see Naomi Campbell here and there. Mm. Maybe you see Alec Weck maybe once or twice. Now you have 10 or 20 different black women that are, are visible to see that they are different, different forms of beauty. Like there's not it's, just one, mm-hmm. one, representation of what beauty is it's programming i remember being over my um my cousin's house um marquita and tajay was over there and um they had something called 16 magazine or 17 magazine mm-hmm. it was basically yeah, it was magazine 17. for teenage girls yes and they had stacks of them and each one had a European person on there. Yeah, no, maybe definitely. Maybe like a token black person, but the token black person would have pressed in different texture hair. and Right, but know. this is like this, as a teenager, for me, I'm like, man, like, I wish I could like have, you know, smaller shoulders mm. and maybe like. Suck your butt in. Yeah, and you know, I couldn't really wear hipster jeans because the hipster jeans wouldn't go over my butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. Wanting to be something that I know my body physically couldn't do, you know, like, that's what it does. Like, it just kind of messes with your psyche if you don't have those representations where you can see so many different forms of beauty. It's funny. Even my mother was affected by this before I had um, started getting braids and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is in between my afro and my braid face mm-hmm. my mother perm my hair because it was too <laughs> rough like every comb that i had it would break because my hair was so thick mm. and she said uh let's just put something in it it'll give it a nice curl mm-hmm. um give it a nice different texture and sh- she put perm in my hair and the shit started to burn like the amount of pain <laughs> And I thought I smoked smoke at one point, but Mm -hmm. the amount of pain I went through to sit there and let that stuff just fry my hair was crazy. And then when they finally washed my hair out, I looked like one of the five heartbeats. (laughs) I looked like the temptations. Like, it was crazy. I had a perm, too. But if you mm -hmm. think about it, like, I'll tell you my story after I say this, but if you think about how, like, what we've gone through to make our hair what it's not supposed to be Mm. it's dumb because it's like you're putting stuff in your hair that could potentially like ruin your scalp for the rest of your life you know like give you cancer yeah i don't want to knock people and what they do with their hair because that's your life um i do (laughs) those box perms have been killing the black community (laughs) since (laughs) 1901 (laughs) don't do it he said don't do it 
But um, from my experience, I went to um, a, a private school in Zimbabwe. And during that time, there were very minimal things that they wanted your hair to be. Like mm. you couldn't really have just your hair in a, a natural ponytail. If it wasn't a ponytail, it needed to be permed. Like we don't want your, your edges being out at the end of the day. Mm. Just kind of like things that I knew were impossible to be done unless like your hair was permed. Sometimes they'll have issues with braids. You can't have like, you know, one strand braid, two strand like that. It could have been like in a cornrow bun or something like that, but it couldn't just be black, like fully black, you know? So for me, like I kept begging my grandma, please, like, you know, I just want my hair permed. It'll be easy for me when I finish like swimming class because we had swimming class during the day. And, you know, like my teachers would get on me so bad about my hair, like not being appropriate. After I get out the pool, but I can't help it. I got out the pool. You're not going to let me do my uh, natural hair routine after. So it's like just feeling bad about my hair all day. And at some point she gave in and she could have done it a long time ago. But my Mm -hmm. mom like told my like she's asked my grandma, please just don't perm her hair. Like it doesn't need to be do that. Um, but she was like, whatever. She permed my hair anyway. Um, my mom was in there because I was raised by my grandparents um, for part of my life. And that was it. Like, I had a perm. And mm. it was easy to take care of. Did you wrap your hair at night? I can't remember. I was too young to remember. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. My hair, I permed my hair when I was five. Mm-hmm. Five or six. Like, it that's was super crazy. young. I know it's people out here who perm their children's hair way younger than that. But let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> the natural hair movement mm-hmm. during the civil rights in the 1960s and 70s. How amazing and beautiful the hairstyles were during that era. There came a time when natural hair it encouraged black communities to accept who they are instead of using damaging products. So... This is around when people were tired of segregation and police brutality and unjust situations. So something clicked where people were like, okay, fuck your standards of beauty. We are who we are. This is how our hair grows out of our head. This is why my skin looks like that. And I'm proud of being who I am. I don't care if you accept us or not. Just stay out of A special person in my life, a former teacher, once told me that language transmits culture. Mm -hmm. During that era, not only did you have people saying that, people were living like a certain way and saying that this is how we're going to be. James Brown was in on it. Like all of the musicians, all of the activists during that era. Angela Davis. Influenced this movement. That kept instilling in people that black was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Being black was, you know, prideful. And I think that, like I said, language does transmit culture because saying something and repeating that thing and living that thing are like affirmations. Mm -hmm. And it only does positive the negative. Mm -hmm. You saw people, you know, throwing down the perms and like embracing their afro and wearing cornrows and wearing dashikis and wearing you know and being interested in learning where their 
their history. It reflected in the music as well. Mm -hmm. It reflected in the jazz, the the R and B, the art. You had Afro Cobra, the art, everything, everything reflected. It was. I don't want to say a black renaissance, but it was a, a, an awakening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like taking a veil off of your 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 head and saying everything around me that's going on is BS. <laughs> you know, what's yeah? What's funny is like that. I I wasn't born in the seventies, and neither were you. Yeah. But just like what we're what we're seeing now, I feel like is the same thing in the seventies, where people are quote unquote woke. But people are interested and invested in learning about who they are because Mm -hmm. they know without it, who are we and how are we going to represent ourselves when it is time to (laughs) be empowering, empowering that a lot of black and African, African African-American people had black businesses so they can hire black people and they wouldn't tell somebody, oh, your hair is unprofessional. Because their hair looks exactly like the person that's hiring them. Yes. Shout out to Tyler Perry. Shout you know what out I mean? to, you know, what's her name? Slutty Vegan. Shout out to yeah. all of the people that recognize that if we're not going to be accepted in certain spaces, we might as well just build our own. Build our period. own. Period. Because we have spaces that understand how our culture is, mm-hmm. that our hair comes in different she- textures. We all come from different cultures within our black community, you know? So it's like there's no reason to continuously... Degrade, degrade. No, to just continuously pretend like we are something something that we're we're not. not. Mm -hmm. We can rock up with dreadlocks and still do our job well. It doesn't devalue. It doesn't matter. The work situation at all. No. But right after that, early 1980s, all that black power stuff came to a decline. <laughs> uh, Why this, do you think, though? Like- this introduced the Jerry Curl. Oh, that's a, I think that's a whole different podcast right there on why. Well, we can make a part two. A black, why black power and black identity decline. It was definitely a plot against the people. But how, babe? Like, I'm not understanding how we went from the 70s, Afros, cornrows, all of this, and then all of a sudden, it's back to us doing the opposite. It's it's a very long, long story. I think we should put that in a, into a different podcast. <laughs> Because it gets very conspiracy-based, even though there's a lot of facts and stuff out there. I think we touched on it a little bit with uh, the black activism pod, but we can create a podcast just focusing on the downfall of black confidence. I wouldn't say black confidence, Mm. but black activism. But during the 80s, that Jerry Carroll was induced, uh, introduced. Um, the curl provided a glossy, curly style that became uniquely iconic in its time. The name came from its inventor, Jerry Redding, a white man from Illinois. 
Um, Can you imagine like having a one night stand with somebody and then like you wake up and the pillow is drenched in? I can imagine it. (laughs) My grandmother, God rest her soul, she had a jerry curl (laughs) for a long time. And she had to keep plastic on her couches just so it wouldn't ruin the couch. <laughs> but her shit was shine, shine, shine. I, I lie to you not, man. She was, she, she, she. <laughs> it was style. amazing, man. It was amazing. I mean, I, to me, it's just another version of a perm. Just a wet one. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love though, even, you know, even if there's reasons behind why we do what we do that are negative, I Mm. love the fact that we've just been able to transform and we have the freedom to do so much to our hair. Yeah. It's so amazing to me. And um, I've always promised myself as a person, like, I love switching up my hair. I love doing different things, but I always wanted it to still look like it came out of my head. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to validate or like to trick people and like make it seem like it's my hair, but the fact that I don't feel comfortable wearing something that doesn't belong to my body. Mm. I feel that. See what I mean? But at the same time, there was another black reinsurgence of pride and identity. Um even during the Jerry Curl movement, um, look at NWA. Ice Cube had a Jerry Curl, <laughs> but he was he was one of the hardest brothers out there. But yeah. this was introduced because of police brutality and right. segregation and redlining and and stuff like that. So you know? then there is that question: like, is are you your hair? I don't think so. Is that part of who you are as a person, or is it just decoration? Is it just another hat? You know, like, is it just something that is part of your style, but it's not part of your identity. I, I, I like that. Is it another hat? Because mm-hmm. I, I look at baseball caps and people who usually wear baseball caps or or sports teams in general will wear the cap that represents where they're from, like the W from the Washington Redskins or the Washington Nationals. So it's more of an element than it is. Yeah, it's like it's not. It's like just showing where you're from and where you're representing, Mm -hmm. you know, what mind state you're in, you know, even though it is a part of us, it doesn't really define who we are in in our essence. Yeah. So it's part of us. But yeah, it's not the the full. (laughs) Yeah. It's like community. Yeah. You know, like people who like sports, people who like a certain team they might not know each other, but they still share the common lines of that community. Mm-hmm. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on hair? Like, let's say if I decide tomorrow that I shave my head bald. If that's what you want to do, <laughs> that's what you want to do. That's cool with me. I can't govern your body. You can't govern my body, but would you look at me differently? I mean, you do have a big head, so. So, but I I still have a big head with dreadlocks, but like, mm. would that change your ideas about who I am? Like, no, nah. I, I mean, I, know. I, I would have to get used to it at first because right. you're just changing <laughs> what you look like. So then if I've changed what I look like, then did I just get rid of a part of who I was or no. what did I just remove an element? No, it's just like 
you taking off makeup at the end of the day. You're still the same person. That's deep. <laughs> it's not deep. I, like, for me, I'm because I know that a lot of people, there's certain people that do have preferences. They do have an issue when mm. someone makes a quote unquote drastic change like that. Like mm. I know it could even be for a boy. Like I know my dad did not want my brother's hair to be cut. He mm. just wanted his hair to grow and just to be like his. He didn't want his son to have hair cut. Mm. So it's like there's so there's different ways that people are attached to hair, like it is greater than just hair a style is, or an is, element. Hair is religious to some people. Mm-hmm. In the Native American communities, uh, some of the communities believe that you shouldn't cut their hair at all. Mm-hmm. It's like cutting your soul. You know, some people take hair extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. And, Spe- and especially in, in Rastafarian communities as well. It's I'm, like they're yeah. crowned. It, it, it what, it's like what grounds them. They look at themselves like trees their feet are the toes the feet is the root Mm -hmm. and the hair is the leaves that's 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 soaking in the information and the sunlight and and all the other you know stuff like that i'm not rastafarian but when i first cut my first set of locks Mm. i could not stop crying i literally cried that whole day Mm -hmm. and i don't think it was because i i felt like i made a silly decision but i believe that there was like i i felt like part of me was, was, left yeah you know and even though that 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 heaviness and the fact that i was hiding behind my hair was something that i did a lot and i wanted to see if i could just be without my hair it's, it, it, it's extremely important because all the time you spend with it mm-hmm. you know all the time you spend getting it twisted or getting it maintained or um looking at yourself in a mirror every day with, with your hair you know, I could definitely understand how you felt that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had my hair for over 15 years now, and I'm about ready to just chop it off. Mm-hmm. And the, the significance behind some people doing the big cut or the big chop, there's a lot of significance behind that because it, they feel that they have to shake off certain energy, old energy or mm-hmm. something like that. Or whether it be good or bad, they just want to start fresh and want to start new. I also felt the most confident when I had short hair. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I had short hair, when that thing was like fresh out of the barber's chair, like mm-hmm. that's I felt the most free with short hair. I think I felt the most like spiritually grounded. Mm-hmm. I don't know with locks. <laughs> like I, it's weird. Like I I've had different feelings with different hairstyles mm-hmm. that were my my own. Anything else on top of that was just like me putting on an accessory. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the barbershop mm-hmm. in the 1980s, um, the 1980s ushered in the birth of hip hop, which mm-hmm. had a huge cultural influence on style. Black barbershops around the U.S. had perfected the fade, but the 80s allowed the blossom allowed it to for it, the 80s allowed it to blossom for the creativity, basically. Mm. 
What hair style would you have if you were like a I teen would have in the eighties? You remember Kid and Play from a House Party? Yes, and, the and super, Kid super had, had mega the, high top the, fade. The, the, the super high top, the the the, the uh, eraser brush. I'm so curious to know, like, how did people sleep with that? Like, I don't how know. did you fall asleep, or like, is there something way you? I don't know. How often do you have to go to a barber? <laughs> yeah. It was so crisp and like fresh and lined up. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, it was kind of unique to watch people getting their hair cut or waiting to get my hair cut every two weeks when mm-hmm. I was a kid. You know, it was like a ritual. Yeah. I, I always look forward to going to the barbershop and just having that energy. Mm. The fact that, like, all of the men, even if they weren't coming by here, would greet me. Mm. Or, like, you know, just knowing a familiar face and just showing respect. But then the conversations, <laughs> there's nothing like barbershop talk. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be, like, a chick in there listening to guys rap, like, talking about stuff. But it's been guys, amazing. It's... <laughs> Barbershops and salons are pa- places where people can be unfiltered and mm-hmm. raunchy or <laughs> themselves, know, themselves, which is great, you know, because every other place that we have to be, whether it be church or school or work you have or to wear a certain hat, and family, a certain way and yeah, you can't way. really fully express yourself. And yeah, community spaces like that gave people room to just let it. Go and be free. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I believe that's our hair episode, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a great start for season two. Season two, 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 two. Two, two, two. But um, we've been here for an hour. We really appreciate you guys coming here and listening to us talk about black hair. Um, We started a Patreon and... If you're interested, uh, just donate and, and help us create. Help us grow. grow. Help us be better than what we are right now. Yeah. Um, we have so many different guests that are going to be coming on the show. We have so many ideas that we're not ready to share yet, but mm. we would love to get your support so that we can be able to continue and do those things. And once you uh, sign up to the Patreon um, depending on the tier, you might get uh, um, new episodes unaired, um, bonus episodes, um, T-shirts, mugs, stickers, and, and all the above. Yeah. Thank you so much. So we really appreciate it. And um, thanks, guys. Peace. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in into today's episode of Creative Habits Podcast. Here is your quote of the day. Don't remove the kinks from your hair. Remove it from your brain. Marcus Garvey. Subscribe, like, comment, download. Have a good one, guys. Peace.